Hello and welcome to another episode of the Focus Seedcast. I'm your host, Focus, and today I'm talking with Marilyn Masher of Manifest Destiny Seed Co. Masher and I talk about his new feminized seed line using L.A. Pure Kush as the mother plant. We also talk about selecting traits and varieties for hash, as well as growing outdoors in New England. But before we get into this episode, I'd like to let everyone know that I finally finished adding all the new vegetable seed varieties on my website for the season. So if you're spending the winter planning on what you're going to plant in your garden, visit my website, focusseeds.com. Focus is spelled P-H-O-C-A-S. Without any further delay, let's get to the episode. How you doing, sir? Good to hear from you again. Yeah, yeah. It's always good to talk to you. Yes, so, I, so I know, hopefully this will be third time's a charm. Uh, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but no, we'll, we'll, we'll go over everything. So uh, yeah, I thought we'd start out with like your new line that you've been working on your, with, uh, with your FEMS. How's that been going? It's been going good. So I, um, about six months ago, I released my LA Pure Kush uh, Feminized line. Uh, with that, there were a few one-off uh, F1 crosses I did. Um, I s one it. I did a pretty solid line of about five to ten outcrosses. Um, all of them were one-offs, so uh, I don't plan on making them again. Um, but I really, uh, I really think this LA Burkus line has a lot to offer the gene pool. Uh, it, it, it really gives folks a deep dive into a true pure Kush. Um, from what I understand and from what I'm told, LA pure Kush is a selection of uh, Hindu Kush variety uh, made on the West Coast. And uh, it was given to someone on my team who shared it with me. And uh, I haven't seen anyone uh, do uh femline with it i've seen folks work with it i've seen hayes man work with it i've seen a couple other um older school breeders working with it but it's it's not it's not the same as the other pure cushes um each pure cush is a little bit different um there are those pure cushes that just people just keep renaming but la pure cush is in my opinion a little bit standalone from all of those um you know a true expression of pure kush genetics that's why i really wanted to you know reverser and make some feminized outcrosses with her so that folks can really you know get an understanding of what pure kush genetics are and what the kush gene pool has to offer it's not the same polyhybrids that you know you can get you know through all of your name brand seed banks it's a little bit more um, unique in terms of what I've used to cross it with. Now I have used a lot of staple elite crosses like GMO, Mac, Mac one. I did test it and I didn't find any mutants in the, my Mac one cross. Um, you know, just standards like that. I did some, uh, lesser known crosses like my black cherry soda, Fino times LA pure Kush. Um, you know, I did Chem D times LA Pure Kush. You know, just a lot of, you know, really good elite clone onlys that I felt were deserving of the LA Pure Kush feminized pollen. Um, I really think that 
those crosses have a lot to offer the community. Uh, again, they are one-offs, so they will not be made again. Uh, a few of them, like the Bernie Mac and the Mac One crosses, they are sold out. Uh, we are running low on supply. You can get them at the Seed Exchange. Uh, they're one of my vendors that probably do the most in sales, especially at my feminized lines. Uh, so you can always go to them if you're looking for you know, what's new as far as my new feminized work. Um, yeah, that's my LA Turkish line and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> yeah. So you're not doing any of those crosses again? You know, I, I don't plan on it. Um, the reason being is just because I just want to keep moving on, keep finding new uh, projects to work on. Now, I, I, I really don't like remaking lines unless I mean, they are just completely deserving of such. And not to say that these lines aren't, but I feel like, especially with my feminized work, uh, making one-off crosses is uh, just the way I want to take the direction. Uh, now, there are crosses that I've made that aren't feminized, like my sour goo, that will be remade. Um, just because I, I really find that to be a... Uh, top-notch breeding tool uh if you really want to work with some older school genetics um but yeah uh, you know I, I don't i don't plan on remaking any of my fem work uh, not unless you know there's some extenuating circumstance that would make demand make it so that it's worth you know redoing the whole garden just the way i did it before yeah well i'll have to grab some more of those packs from you then if you're not going to remake them but <laughs> But, uh, yeah, um, it just, it just takes some of the magic away for me when you're constantly remaking the same strain over and over and over and over again. Now, now it, if you're line working it, like, you know, doing F1, F1, F2, F3, or doing back crosses and stuff, that's different. But if you're just constantly remaking the same F1 or F2 cross, you know, time and time again, just to supply demand. You know, it just takes the magic and the fun away and it just becomes more like an actual job and less like a, a hobby, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also, too, you're going to get like the same distribution of like phenotypes, whereas you don't get that if you start working a line. So I could see we're like, yeah, you might have some standout plants, but what's the point of keep making a line where, you know, that standout is one out of one every 10 or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Instead of actually like, breeding that line to make that you know that stable pheno that you that you want so so for me so for me the reason why i make seeds and the reason why i you know do this breeding work isn't necessarily to put money in my pocket you know it's nice to have money and make money but you know i really just enjoy you know kind of making my little donation to the gene pool and my little you know, it, it, it's, I always thought it was the neatest thing to have to make seeds and grow them out and be the only person that has a particular line or a particular, you know, and then to be able to share that with, you know, folks that want to, you know, also, you know, work with the same genetics that, you know, make me excited. Uh, it really, it, it's a magical thing, man. And, you know, for the first few four or five years that I made seeds, man, I didn't sell a single one. I just gave out to anyone that was willing to pop the seeds out. You know, I'd give them for free. Um, 
I really just wanted folks to one, you know, grow my genetics in their garden. Uh, and two, you know, it, it took a few years to really understand how, you know, it all worked and, you know, it's still, you know, a learning process for me. Um, you know, it's a learning process for everyone, but it's something that each cross, each line I work, I understand it a little bit more. And I think each line I try to go and I set the bar a little bit higher each time. Um, and, you know, it just constantly, I'm, I, I just, I compete with myself, you know, I, 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 I can't, constantly want the line I'm making now to be as good, if not better than the line I made before. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. That fem work though, I have to say has been uh, everything I've seen, the, the flower that I've seen from it and the pictures and stuff has all been like incredibly high quality. So I definitely encourage people to get some packs of those before they're gone for sure. Well, the nice part about it is once they're gone, they'll be replaced with something else. You know, it might not be the same, might not be the same feminized pollen donor, um, but the quality will be there. And, you know, it's the same mission. It's the same person making the crosses, same person packing the seeds. It's the same person distributing it. So it's it's if you like what you got with the L.A. Pure Kush line, uh, I encourage you to try out our other lines uh, as well as try our future lines. Uh, because it's just going to keep getting better and better. Yeah. So you mentioned the sour goo. I know we talked about that before, but do you want to break that down again? Yeah, you know, that's actually, yeah. That cross I made a few years ago, actually, it, it, it's not something I, you know, just recently made or, you know, just recently finished testing on or anything like that. It's, it, it's a line that I made a while back, about two-ish, three years ago. Um, and what it is, it, it's uh, Sour Boggle S1. So a uh, buddy of mine reversed Sour Boggle, sent me some S1s. I hunted it, found a really nice a really nice female in that. And then I hit that to Pure Gooey, uh, 2017 Pure Gooey, which is uh, NorCal Gooey times Skunk 1. And that is from a Gooey Breeder. So uh, that line right there is just a really old school line, you know, really you know, nice top-notch quality buds, huge yields with a beautiful, you know, strawberry banana turf profile almost. And uh, so I wanted to just really kind of remake that sour boggle into a regular seed line, but I wanted to find something with a similar turf profile. So I grew out a bunch of the 2017 Pure Gooey's. I found a really nice female. And then I wanted, I found a nice female that matched the same turp profile as um, the Sour Boggle S1 that I selected. So then I found a male that grew and looked similar to that female in that same pure gooey line. And I used that as a male to hit as, uh, the uh, Sour Boggle S1 and ended up coming out a sour goo f1 which is sour boggle s1 times norcal gooey times skunk one uh and again that's an f1 cross that's a reg line and um you know it just i you know i love it man i just keep revisiting it um i'll grow it out and 
and I'll flour it and I'll put it in my jar and I just keep going back to it when I'm looking for something good to smoke, something tasty, uh, something that doesn't, you know, completely lay me out, but still, you know, gets me where I need to be. And, um, you know, I just keep revisiting it. So, you know, I just figured if, if I keep revisiting it, it's obviously got to be worth, you know, remaking and working that line and seeing, you know, how I can take that further and how I can, you know, because the first time I made those seeds, I really didn't make enough seeds to make it commercially viable anyways. I just made enough seeds to make a few packs for the homies and to do some in awesome testing myself. So I, I didn't really make the cross thinking that it was going to be what it turned out to be. I was hoping it was going to turn out to be that way. Uh, but I, I didn't really think that uh, it was going to turn out as, you know, stable as it is. And not only as stable as it is, uh, there's pretty much only one tur profile that it, it boasts. And that's that, that strawberry banana, you know, sour boggle kind of, uh, gooey-ish turp profile. I, you know, it, it's, it's, I, I think, I think the thing that smells like it the most that has the most similar turp profile would probably be that mass super skunk. Um, they just smell really similar. Uh, it, it might be the skunk one in them. Um, it's just, they just kind of give off that fruity strawberry banana type turp profile it's kind of acrid too it's not like uh it's not like the strange strawberry banana that's just like 100 fruit turps it, it's fruit turps but with a like an acrid back end to it that you know just makes it so that you just don't get sick of it you know you smoke it it it's it tastes exactly like how it smells and uh you know it's just not one of those strains that you just get sick of it's not the most potent strain under the sun um, but it breeds true and it's just, uh, a lot of fun to grow and to smoke. Uh, and you know, that in turn makes it fun to work with and, you know, as a breeding tool. Nice. Yeah. I know you gave me a pack of those, so that's on my list. I got, I got a couple packs on, that are top of the list. So that's definitely that, going to be one of them. That pack was, uh, a, a pack of one of the original uh, F1s that I made the first time I made okay. that. Uh, I've since made those seeds two more times. I've made those F1s two more times. Uh, and I, I can't make them again, actually, because I lost the Sour Bogolas one. Um, it was it, it was really sweet and the leaves were really supple. So it, it was, uh, you know, the first plant that, you know, pests and pathogens went to. Uh, and it just didn't survive the move when I moved, you know, from from the state that I was living into the state that I'm in now. So it didn't make it. So I'm not able to make those F ones again, unfortunately. Uh, but I have enough of the F one seeds that I can do some really solid, uh, line work with it. And, um, right now I'm in the process of making a back cross two on it. So, uh, we're at back cross one and, uh, we're going to hit it a second time. Uh, see what we come up with. And if, it's as good as we think it's going to be, then it'll be ready for um, commercial release. Nice. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. I'm also looking forward to a lot of, a lot more uh, like inbred lines too. And, and several, you know, generations instead of all these F1 crosses. So yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, man. You know, I just, you know, I like to paint a really wide brush and uh, with a really wide stroke and then kind of go in, 
you know, when I'm doing my testing and just see what's worth, you know, really hunkering down and working, you know, further lines with, and, you know, using as pollen donors and things like that, you know, we're being a breeder that not only, you know, breeds fem work also breeds reg lines. Uh, you know, it really, it, it doesn't, you know, put me in a corner where, you know, I can only work with certain lines or certain genetics. Uh, you know, if there's a really nice male, you know, that I want to work with, I'll make a few lines off and I'll see how, you know, I'll see how he works. You know, if there's a really nice feminized pollen donor, uh, you know, that, you know, really, you know, breeds true and, you know, has great offspring, you know, then I have no problem, you know, working that line as well. Uh, I just need to uh, figure out the direction uh, that we want Manifest Destiny Seed Co. to really, you know, take a stronghold and going in. Right now we have about equal, you know, equal footing in both reg and fem lines. Um, and, and it's really just, you know, uh, the, the public loves the feminized work. Uh, I love some of my fem lines. I mean, I, I love all the fem lines that I make. I love all the lines that I make. But when it comes to what I personally choose to grow out for personal smoke, it's it, I just keep on revisiting the reg lines that I make just because I, I just I really find value in a really good, you know, F1 you know, reg line. It, it, it just, I find, I, I find value in the selections that you're able to make from it. Uh, I find value in it as a breeding tool. It's just, um, you know, I, I just love this shit, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I thought we'd uh, pivot in the, and uh, talk about hash a little bit. Um, I know your, your last, your, your femline was, I guess, more geared towards flower. Um, if I'm correct, the LA Pure Quiz line uh, was geared towards more towards a commercial flower production. Uh, however, there were a few lines, uh, individual outcrosses in that particular um, feminized line that did uh, warrant, you know, decent hash numbers, uh, mainly being the Chem D and the GMO crosses. Uh, but fear not. Uh, the next project that we're in the middle of working in as we speak uh, is a hash inspired line, a hash forward line that uh, all of the genetics, all of the outcrosses in the line will be hash, uh, hash forward strains uh, made for solventless hash production and extract artists. Um, I don't really want to release too much about what I'm working on right now until it's ready to go. Uh, but trust and believe that the feminized pollen donor we are using uh, has won multiple awards uh, for solventless hash production. And it's not a strain that many people, it's not a clone that many people uh, have access to or have had the chance to grab. Uh, it's not widely circulated and uh, it took, a number of years for me to be able to acquire the line or for me to be able to acquire the clone and then get permission to work it into a feminized line. Uh, so, you know, sit tight. The future is not too far away and uh, trust and believe that uh, the next line that manifest destiny comes out with on a feminized basis is going to be geared towards hash production. 
Nice. Yeah. So I thought we'd talk about kind of some of the traits you look for when you're selecting for, uh, for hash varieties. Yeah, man. So what I look for when I'm selecting for hash varieties, one, it's got to have, you know, the terpene profile that I'm after. Um, if it doesn't have the terpene profile I'm after, it, it's not, it's not worth extracting. If it has a bland, you know, profile, you know, even if it's got really good hash numbers, really good returns, uh, you know, nobody's going to want it. It's not really going to, uh, uh, you know, pop out of that jar like you want it to, you know, terps are the game changer that really, you know, make, you know, hash genetics, you know, some hash genetics, you know, more valuable than others. Uh, it's not just about high yields. It's also about, you know, high quality and, you know, high terps. So, uh, what I look for one, it's got to have, you know, you know, high terps that I personally like. Uh, it's also, you know, it's got to have a high density of trichome production. So it, it's like per square centimeter of the, of actual bud growth on the plant. Uh, how much, how many trichomes are in that square centimeter. Um, and then not just that, the quality of the trichomes. I'm looking for trichomes that have a really uh, weak neck. And what I mean by a weak neck is... Uh, the neck is what kind of uh, connects the glandular head of the trichome to the stalk. And if it has a really thick neck, uh, it, it's going to make extracting just the head of that trichome uh, even more difficult without getting the whole stalk. And that stalk is a contaminant. You don't want that. You just want the heads. Um, you just want the trichome heads. If you get the trichome stalks, uh, that's what brings down the quality of your hash and the quality of your melt. That's what it, if you go to dab some water hash uh, that has some uh, contaminants in it, be it stalks or plant matter or dust or, you know, whatever that, that that's what chars in the banger. That's that black stuff that's left over in the banger. Once you're done, you know, bank dabbing the full melt. That's what you don't want that. Um, you want, as little contaminants in the hash as you possibly can. And in order to get that, uh, you want to keep your growing conditions as clean as you possibly can. And, you know, try to keep dust and, you know, any sprays that you would spray, you know, if you're growing for hash, don't spray anything in flour, you know, even if it's an IPM, you know, program, uh, it, anything that you spray on that, bud, anything that you apply to the plants, uh, when it's in flour is going to be on it when you go to wash it. So that's why even if you have just a little bit of PM or a little bit of butter rot, you know, what you're doing is you're literally isolating that PM and you're isolating, you know, those pathogens and then you're extracting them and then you're going to dab them later. Uh, so you, <laughs> it doesn't sound very appealing. It's really important to have that clean grow environment so that your hash is contaminant free when you go to isolate other heads at the end of the day, uh, at the end of your cycle. But again, you know, just make sure that you're checking for, you know, weak necks, uh, really thin necks that connect the stalk to the trichome head. You know, that's something that I look for when I'm breeding for hash production lines. Um, hash production outcrosses. Also, I use strains and I use clones that have been proven hash, you know, solventless hash producers. Um, you, you know, it really makes the playing field, it evens the playing field and makes my selection process a lot easier 
when the genetics that I'm going to work into hash lines have already either the process has already been started uh, or it's already a line that, you know, works really well for hash production. And I'm just looking to tweak it and make it my own, uh, you know, tweak it, whether that means, you know, changing the tur profile a little bit, making it a little bit more resistant or a little bit more uh, environmentally suitable towards certain climates. Um, you know, just because something produces, you know, exactly what you want in your environment doesn't mean that it's going to have those same, you know, production numbers in a different environment. So uh, a good example of that is like the outdoor climate in the Northeast versus like, like the Southwest, you know, a, a plant that might do really well in the Southwest, you know, outdoors might not do nearly as good in the Northeast, you know, just because it's a different environment with different growing conditions. So, you know, that's why I take strains that might already have a proven record, you know, being hash producers. And then I kind of, I make them my own by, you know, either hitting them to, you know, strains and clones that I've already selected and made that have what I'm looking for or something in the middle of that. Um, so again, it's a little bit different per line uh you know each strain is a little bit different and i really try to consistently look for the same things to make sure that my end product is as consistent as possible nice yeah i know last time too when we talked about terpenes we were talking about how like certain profiles like lemon and stuff like that um like the, the lemon terpene profiles don't don't wash as well and you know, yeah. How, yep. Yeah. It, uh, the tur profile does have, it, it does play a factor in the overall numbers on how well a strain hashes or not. But, you know, that's what I was mentioning earlier. Um, you know, you can find a line that has a tur profile that you like and kind of work that into a strain that hashes already. A good example of that would be like uh, Lemon Royale from Swamp Boys. Um, you know, it's a lemon tree strain. Um, you know, it's a lemon tree cross. And lemon tree is not really the, you know, the best hasher under the sun. Uh, but that strain, you know, there are some, you know, phenos that have been hunted that, that hash extremely well uh, with that lemon tree profile. So, again, just because uh, something is what it is today doesn't mean that tomorrow that might change. Um you know, that's why it's so important to, you know, put in the work when it comes to, you know, breeding these lines and not just making F1s, you know, it's not all about just making, you know, F1 outcrosses, making money off them and moving on to the next one. Uh, that's why, you know, I do look for, you know, select lines that I make that have something that I believe is extenuating that, you know, I can use to work other lines to make them a little bit more tweaked to what I want them to be like, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, which lines do you personally recommend from your own, uh, projects for hash? So, uh, for hash production, I would definitely say, um, for my reg lines, anything, uh, that was with my Sherb times Mac mail, uh, that just, it, it just consistently puts out really good hash strains uh, as far as my fem work. Um, 
my new femline that we're about to drop here shortly, uh, that will be hash inspired. However, from the LA Pure Kush line, uh, the GMO times LA Pure Kush line, uh, or uh, that outcross definitely has a lot of good selections for hash production. Same with Chem D times LA Pure Kush. Um, you know, the LA Pure Kush line, as we mentioned, was not necessarily bred for hash production. It was more or less bred for, you know, quality flower production. Uh, the LA Pure Kush is not necessarily a, a hasher. <laughs> uh, it's not to say that you can't get some good hash off of her, but the numbers just don't make it worth it uh, for that particular, that particular clone. So uh, that feminized line, I wouldn't buy that line if you're inspired to make hash with it um, on a commercial level. Uh, however, our future uh, feminized outcross lines, uh, they will uh, be more hash inspired. And again, I try to be as transparent as I can. Um, when I do make hash inspired lines, I try to let the, uh, the customer know that on the packaging. Uh, I'll put somewhere on that packaging that's a hash forward line uh, and vice versa. If it's not a hash forward line there won't be anything on the packaging saying that it will be a hash forward line. So, you know, what's on the packaging is what you can expect to get. Um, but yeah, if you're looking for lines out of my genetics that hash, well, uh, you can go with any of the Sherb times Mac red crosses uh, that we made last year uh, or either of those two uh, LA Purkish outcrosses or the newer feminized line that we're going to be dropping here shortly. Nice. Oh, you went over before, like how you do like your, your feeling test. I guess you can um, run through that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. So, so what I look for when I'm feeling for per certain hash production strains is you want a certain grittiness that comes with the trichome head. And, and so what you'll do is you'll go and you'll look for like a sugar leaf. You don't want to touch the actual bud because as soon as you touch a trichome head, it ruptures that trichome head and that trichome head, once it's ruptured, will not grow back. Um, so it's, you don't want to touch the bud when you're doing this. You want to touch either the fan leaves or the, you know, sugar leaf, wherever the, you can get your fingers on some trichome heads uh, that aren't on the actual bud. So if that's on a sugar leaf, great. You know, if that's on some of the upper fan leaves, even better. So you're not disturbing the sugar leaves and you're getting as many trichome heads as you possibly can uh, at the end of the day. But what you want to be doing is you want to kind of pinch the trichome heads between your fingers. Uh, and then when you go to release those fingers, you're going to look for spider webs. So if you see little spider webs that kind of like go between your fingers, that's how you know, one, that line uh, is probably going to hash pretty well, two. Uh, that's how you know that the, that the trichome head uh, itself, it's it, it, it's it, it's membrane, its cell wall is thick enough to be able to isolate the trichome head without rupturing the cell wall and bursting the trichome head while you're extracting it. So that's why you really want it, to, it's going to feel almost like sandy and gritty when you rub your fingers together. You want that. That's a good thing. You don't want that greasy, wet feeling almost. You want more of like a sandy, gritty feeling when you go to rub your fingers together after squeezing some trichome heads uh, from either a sugar or a fan leaf. And again, that's how you know that that's, that clone 
that pheno that you selected uh, will most likely hash well uh, because it's got fixed cell walls, a fixed cell membrane, uh, and it's got a lot of trichome density on, on the actual bud. Uh, so you're going to get as many trichomes, as many quality trichomes as you possibly can when you go to extract it. Um, if you can extract in a colder environment, that really helps. Um, keeps the integrity of the cell wall intact. It keeps it, you know, the colder the environment, the easier it is to isolate, you know, trichome heads without having them rupture, without making a greasy mess in your bags that make collecting, you know, the hash at the end of the day, extremely difficult. Uh, those greasy strains might be great for fire production, might be great terps, uh, terp monsters. You know, they might just be really good, you know, for pretty much any other application other than solventless house production. Uh, you know, and that's why I say when someone is breeding for solventless hash production, you need to like tailor that particular line for hash production so that you are making those selections, you know, based off of, you know, the quality of the trichomes and not necessarily uh, off, you know, how much biomass it might make or, you know, how much, um, you know, how well it does in your room and things like that. So, you know, again, making selections for hash production is, is a little bit different. It's the same premise as making selections for flower production. You know, you obviously want to make the best selection as you possibly can, um, but you're just looking for different traits, you know? Yeah. I was also going to say too, um, having like a more open flower structure I've noticed on a lot of uh, hash varieties is usually better than having this real you know, large, dense flower because then it's yeah. harder. Yeah. And the reason for that is just because there's more exposure to trichome heads. It's easier for those trichomes to get out and it's easier to isolate them uh, just because they're not, you know, trapped in a bunch of flower and biomass. Um, and in order to break those buds up to get to the, uh, those trichomes, you're going to have to rupture all those outside heads because you have to manually break that butt open. Um, so it, the juice just isn't worth the squeeze on it. And, you know, you're hundred percent right. A more open bud structure definitely puts out higher numbers when it comes to uh, washing solventless hash production. So, you know, again, that's something else that we look for uh, is, 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 you know, how the plant grows, you know, what's its bud structure look like? Is it, you know, really, you know, tight, dense buds, or is it a little bit, bit more open, a little bit more um, accessible when it comes to the final extraction for water yeah. hash? Cool. Yeah. So I think we covered hash pretty well. Um, I wanted to actually, now that I'm thinking about it, bring up your, uh, the, your Afghani line, the black Afghani line. Um, Cause I had a buddy of mine, grow that outdoors this year and it did excellent. So I was wondering if you're doing any more work with that kind of stuff or, or focusing on outdoor, um, you know, selections for stuff that grow, that grows outdoors. Well, you know, yes, I am. And I, I really figured out uh, that I need to put more stock into my outdoor flower production uh, and in turn outdoor, you know, hash production, because, you know, a lot of what I grow outdoors is what I end up washing for hash uh, as well as my indoor, but 
Yeah, man. So uh, where I moved to is a coastal region in uh, the Northeast. And it, it, it's, you know, humidity is just off, off the chain here. It's just, you know, it, it's just, it, it makes growing outdoors extremely difficult. So it makes, you know, breeding for outdoor lines that much more difficult because I need to make sure that the lines that uh, I am breeding and, you know, the selections that I make and the outcrosses that I make, I need to make sure that they can survive a whole whole growing season, you know, outdoors in the Northeast because the majority of my clientele uh, are local to the Northeast region. Um, and, you know, a lot of them, you know, we're still – you know, a lot of the folks in the Northeast are still growing in prohibition land, me included. So outdoor growth makes it uh, a little bit safer for us, uh, you know, like old school gorilla gardens or even just, you know, out, you know, outside, you know, remote part of our backyards. Uh, it, it just it, 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 it's easier and a little bit uh, less risky to grow, um, you know, personal flour and personal hash, you know, outdoors and in prohibition land where you don't have to worry about, you know, your dwelling being the place where you're actually growing. Uh, you know, my concern has always been is, you know, if I had a, uh, like a health emergency and I had to call 911 to come, you know, having a heart attack, God forbid, uh, you know, I'm if I can't crawl out of my house under my own power, uh, I'm going to wake up in a hospital bed, with, you know, handcuffed to it. So uh, it, it definitely uh, I understand why folks, you know, put a lot more stock into outdoor growth, especially in the Northeast. And, you know, the Northeast being, you know, where it's at, you know, geographically, lions need to be, you know, extremely mold resistant, extremely PM resistant. And not only that, but also be able to finish before the Northeast winter comes. So, so I try to go in line more towards like the Afghani and, um, you know, selections and strains from that particular region of the world, because they seem to finish in time. Um, they might not be as uh, mold and PM resistant as we would like, but that's why we use them as starting, you know, like, like starting blocks and then we'll work in some more narrow leaf genetics into that, uh, that Afghani. So, or that, you know, what that, that, that Kush line or, you know, whatever starting blocks we're working with, we need to make sure that one, it can finish in time, uh, before the winter, you know, comes in and that, you know, everything dies, you know, with a frost. And we need to also make sure that it's also PM and butter rot resistant as well as resistant against other pathogens. So, it, you know, it, it takes a lot of breeding work for, you know, for that. It takes a lot of testing and selections and a lot of, you know, giving it to friends, seeing how it works in their environment, comparing it to your environment and just kind of making selections based off that. But in terms to that black Afghani in and of itself, uh, that, you know, a lot of the hard work was done for me uh, by picking the selection, the parents that I used. You know, Black Dog, Blackberry Diesel OG made by BioVortex, uh, released by Humboldt Seeds. That was, you know, was bred for the outdoors. It, you know, it, it was bred for high quality flower production uh, in an outdoor environment. So I wanted to use that as my mother stock to be able to, 
uh, kind of have a lot of the work done for me. And then I wanted to find and pair it with uh, a fast finishing Afghani that also, uh, you know, was bred for outdoor flower production. So I found a really nice Duckweb IBL selection. Duckweb IBL is an F5 heirloom Afghani uh, preserved and distributed by 1950s Duckweb out of Colorado. Um, he, uh, you know, he did some really nice line work on that particular strain and, uh, you know, really preserved it for everyone to be able to, you know, get a bite out of what, you know, an heirloom Afghani truly is. And uh, it also has the, uh, the plus of having uh, fuchsia or magenta colored pistols with uh, duck foot shaped leaves. So it also makes breeding with it a little bit funner and a little bit easier uh, because of those telltale, those telltale traits. Uh, they're really easy to notice when you go and grow out the F1s. But I really like that line, man. I made that years ago. And, uh, you know, thankfully I made a shit ton of seeds back when I made them because people, you know, they just, I keep getting asked for that line. I mean, I'm running low, you know, I'm starting to run low. I got to start making some F2s and back crosses of it, uh, you know, to feed the masses. But, you know, when I made that particular line years back, I made it outdoors. I made it when I was first getting into, you know, actually growing organically so you know they're made outdoors they're made organically you know they're made under the northeast sun so you know in the northeast climate so you know they're geared towards finishing you know in the northeast and having quality flower for you know the grower to enjoy with their friends and family so it's a great line um you know i plan to work with it a bunch more in the future um you know, and, and again, that's kind of how I make my decisions on what lines to work with and what lines to retire. You know, not necessarily just what I like, but what other people like, what clients like, what friends like, you know, what their friends like, you know, what people keep asking me for are things that I know need to have a little bit more attention and should be either worked further or, you know, remade. And, uh, you know, that's not to say that every line that I make has or even deserves to be, you know, remade two, three, four or five times. Uh, but that's not to say that there aren't a few outcrosses that do hold that, you know, that recognition and does, you know, deserve to be, you know, made for, you know, on a production, on, on a commercial production level and not just you know, enough seeds to, you know, give to a few friends and make a couple dollars off of, you know, actually making enough to be a commercially viable strain to, you know, to sell and not just have 50 to a hundred packs, but, you know, 500 to a thousand packs. Cause you know, there's nothing worse than, you know, making 50 packs of a particular line. People fucking love it. And then, you know, you, at a patch, you don't have that mother anymore. You got rid of the pollen donor. You used up all your pollen. You got rid of the male. You know, there are just, it, it just sucks <laughs> when that happens. And, you know, that is, you know, the same as getting caught with your pants down. And that's kind of, you know, where I was at when I made a, that sour goo line, especially the first time I made it was, 
you know, I made it and I only made enough packs just for myself and my friends. And once, you know, we all grew them out, we're like, holy shit, this, this is fucking incredible. You know, we didn't have enough to actually, you know, sell and get out for people to other people for, so they can experience it. You know, it's not just about, you know, selling packs and making money. It's about, you know, like for me, I, I, I always think about, you know, when I die, what are folks going to remember me for? You know, they're certainly not going to remember me for my nine to five job. Uh, but they might remember me, you know, based off of something that uh, is in their garden that feeds their families, that pays their bills, you know, like one particular clone can do all that for you. You know, all it takes is one. All you got to do is find one selection that nobody else in town has, you know, and, and, you know, as legalization pushes forward and, you know, more and more states, you know, start to, you know, decriminalize or legalize, you know, cannabis use, you know, not just for, not just medically, but recreationally, it's going to really open the door to, you know, folks that might not have had the opportunity to, you know, grow cannabis because, you know, they thought the risk was too high or they weren't in an environment where they felt they were able to grow it or they, you know, they didn't have anywhere for them to be able to, you know, safely get an education on how to grow it. They didn't know, you know, it, it's not as simple as just growing tomatoes. I mean, it, you know, there's a lot that goes into growing, you know, good medicinal cannabis that you can smoke and that's clean. Uh, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. It's not the same as, you know, your grandma, you know, growing basil or some shit, you know, it's, 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 it's a little bit more, uh, uh, time consuming as far as, you know, having all of you know, your boxes checked and, you know, but as legalization pushes forward, more and more people are going to feel comfortable growing. And the more people that feel comfortable taking that plunge to start growing, uh, the more people that are going to be buying genetics that are going to be looking for what suits them and what they like. So it's just going to get more and more and more prevalent and widespread and the wave is just getting higher and higher and higher and higher. And, uh, I look forward to riding it, man. It's been a, it's been a hell of a ride. You know, I look forward to seeing what the future has in store, you know, not just for manifest destiny seed co, you know, but for all my friends and, you know, it's not just a, uh, a me thing, you know, like when I think of, you know, the cannabis community, I think of, all my personal friends that I wouldn't have made had I not been a part of the community. You know, I look forward to folks that aren't a part of the community becoming a part of the community and seeing what we have to offer. Um, you know, there's a lot, to, you know, a lot in store, you know, not just for, you know, cannabis in and of itself, not just for manifest destiny seed co, but, you know, there's a lot in store for, you know, where, you know, hash production's going, you know, we're just at the beginning stage of a lot of this, you know, 10 years ago, if we, you know, if you were to ask me 10 years ago, if you were to ask anyone 10 years ago, if they thought we'd be where we're at now, where we're at, when we're actually there, nobody would have said that, you know, we'd be where we're at now using freeze dryers and shit to make hash with. And, you know, there's just a lot that changes, you know, 
with the cannabis community and a lot that changes with the tech and how we do things and how we share knowledge and shit like that. It's just, it's constantly changing and constantly evolving. And, uh, you know, as a good breeder, I think you should, you know, kind of be there as shit changes and just kind of be there and change with it. If that makes sense. Yeah, man, for sure. And yeah, it was especially hard for growers in the, in the Northeast this year. Um, myself included, man, the rain was like relentless, pretty much rained at least one day a week. Some days we had like three or four days of rain. So my outdoor photos did not do that great this year, but, uh, that's why I've been growing yeah. autos. So <laughs> I'm doubling down on my autos. <laughs> I'll tell you, I, uh, you know, I live, you know, so close to the ocean you can hear it and uh so it rains here uh, a solid three four days a week i mean in the summertime it's just it is right now it's not all day it's only for you know a couple of couple of minutes here a couple of minutes there but it's a daily occurrence and um a lot of my crops got wiped out because of it but the majority of my la pure kush crops did perfectly well perfectly fine uh you know, they finished in time. I got a couple of them finishing up now, uh, but they finished in time. They didn't get any pathogens and, uh, you know, they didn't, you know, rot up on me like, you know, I thought they would have. And uh, yeah, that line, that uh, LA Purkus line does remarkably well in uh, the Northeast environment. Yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, I, I had a ton of problems with uh, PM and detritus. So like I said, my autos uh, didn't have any, no, no no powdery mildew at all had some a little bit of botrytis but was not bad at all but my photos man it was like it was rough i had a couple standout plants i actually wish i took um cuts of which i didn't um i i grew out like six or eight plants from um of the alien girl i got from high ground uh high ground ganja but uh yeah, I had like one of those that was like perfect and then the rest got got pm which um if people don't know either, I, I, I talked about this a little bit before in the last podcast was um, powdery mildew strains are different between the East and the West coast. So if you got a variety that grows real well out on the West coast and you bring it over on, on this side of the, of the U S it's uh it's got totally different uh, PM strains. So I've, I've, I've had some stuff where like people on the West coast grow it out. It's perfect to grow it here. And it, it's like a PM magnet. So it's good I to have. Yeah, yeah. So it's good to have like stuff that's been grown and tested here and adapted for for this environment for sure. No, absolutely right, man. And again, you know that's why you know I I I I am so adamant about when I say a particular strain, you know, is is, is suitable for growing outdoors in the Northeast. I'm not just saying because you know, it, it, it did well once or twice. It, it's because uh, time and time again, I've heard, you know, I've seen, and I've heard people uh, that have been able to grow it, you know, in Virginia, Maine, Vermont, all, all up and down the Northeast. Uh, they've been able to successfully, you know, get a, a solid crop in, uh, you know, before, you know, it, you know, uh, the big freeze and without having, you know, it, it riddled with PM and, you know, bud rot, whatnot. Yeah. Well, is there anything else uh, you want to talk about? I feel like we, 
we finally hit everything and got a got a good long conversation in. Yeah, um, you know, just I want to remind folks uh, that each line that I drop each it, it is a little bit different. Um, you know, there are lines that are more hash inspired. You know, there are lines that are more flower inspired. There are lines that are you know more inspired for you know indoor you know, hash production, indoor flower production, outdoor flower production, outdoor hash production. There's just so many variables that um, I really try to appease as many folks as I can by, you know, painting with a wide brush. Um, But, you know, if you do have questions about any of my strains, hit me up, you know, I'm I'm available uh, on Instagram at Maryland underscore master. I'm available, you know, on email at, Maryland Masher at gmail.com. You can find me on DC Seed Exchange. Um, you know, I, I, I'm on a few of the forums as Maryland Masher, um, IC Mag, Overgrow, things like that. Uh, you know, if you have questions, please reach out. Please, you know, please ask me if there's something about one of my lines that, you know, you're growing out that, you know, looks a little funky to you or, you know, you're worried it might not finish in time or you're worried something doesn't look right to you. Shoot me a question, even if it's not necessarily about the genetics of my line. You know, if you have something, you know, you're growing something out of mine that, you know, looks like it's got some white stuff growing in there. Send me a picture of it. You know, let's talk about it. Let's talk about your environment. You know, I'm here to help. I'm here to make sure that, you know, folks that, you know, one, grow up, you know, my seeds, you know, get the best possible end product they can. But two, just make sure that, you know, we have a good, solid community, not just locally, but, you know, throughout the United States and even throughout the world. You know, we need to stick together as cannabis growers. You know, it's, you know, we have a, we, we have more in common than we have apart. That's, I guess that's the expression. Uh, I, it's just, man, we need to stick together. So if there's any, ever, ever anything I can do for anyone, please reach out. Um, try to make myself as as uh, uh, out there as I possibly can. I try to be as transparent as I can. So if you have any questions, please reach out. Awesome. Well, it's good talking to you as always. Absolutely, sir. Well, that's it for this episode. I'd like to thank Marilyn Masher for coming back on. You can follow him on Instagram at Maryland underscore masher and you can follow me focus seeds on instagram or hit up my website focusseeds.com happy growing peace